morning, you know, Will um, referenced this a moment ago. Um, I am so pumped about my brother, uh, Mo, that's gonna be preaching. Mo, can you come on up um, uh, for us? Um, yeah, you may or may not, yeah, you can, you welcome Mo. So one, one of the things that we're passionate about as a church family uh, here at Ethos is making disciples, just mentoring people into the ways of Jesus and then sending them out uh, into all of the different spheres of society, whether you, know, you are on a college campus or a stay-at-home mom or an architect or an engineer or a musician, whatever it is that you do, we're like, hey, we believe God's got a great purpose for you. So we love making disciples and then sending them out to start new churches. And over the last seven or eight years, we've had the joy of starting 46 new churches all over the place, 14 different nations, 40 different cities. And here's something really cool. Not just that 46 churches have been started, those 46 churches have in turn started 42 other churches um, all around the world. And so it's like the kids are having kids, having kids. And and that's just what we believe in. And Mo and Nikki, some of our dearest friends, just trusted family, they're a part of our extended church family. Uh, they planted a church in Murfreesboro, uh, Tennessee, not too far from here. And Mo, you're just one of the most humble, just honorable, gifted, anointed, spirit-filled friends I have, brothers. And we're so grateful for you and Nikki and that you'd spend your Sunday with us. And so we're just gonna pray over him this morning. And I just invite you to just kind of extend your hands out. Just to, We're gonna pray that God would just speak through him, that he would become forgettable, that Jesus would be non-ignorable um, in our midst. And so, Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. And I just thank you for Mo. We love him. We love Nikki. We love their children. We love the way that you're using them. But God, we just, we give you thanks for the gifts for the anointing, for the humility that they carry and that they steward. And we thank you for what he's, gonna, what he's gonna release today into our church family by the power of your spirit. Father, would you help him to feel at home, comfortable, like he's in his own living room with people that are for him and with him and that know him. God, I just thank you for him. I, I love him. God, thank you for the unique word that you want to speak through him to the 11 o'clock this morning. Thank you that, for what you did at the 9 o'clock. Thank you for the way that you, Jesus, were lifted high among us. It's in his name that we pray and give thanks. Again, we say amen. Amen. You know, Mo, I told thank you this at the 9 o'clock. You don't have to impress us, right, church? Like, we don't need, can you just shake your heads? We don't need him to impress us, right? We don't need you to entertain us. Just no. give us Jesus. Amen. Just give us his word. Can you help me just give a big, warm ethos welcome to my brother Mo Obiani? Thank you, Dave. Love you, brother. Good morning, Ethos. Such a joy and honor actually being here this morning. I honor so dearly what the Lord is doing in this house, and I mean that with every part of me. I'm so grateful for the impact that you guys are making literally all over the world. There's so much that God is doing in this house beyond Sunday morning, and we're so part, uh, so happy to be part of what the Lord is doing here. I want to say a very big thank you to all the leaders in this house doing a phenomenal work to just push the frontiers of the kingdom in Nashville, in the greater Nashville area, and we're so grateful. And I want to honor our dear friend and brother and mentor and sister, Dave and Sydney, 
for such a great role model that they had to all of us in just uh, synthesizing what it means to be a humble leader, what it means to be a lamb and a lion at the same time. We see that in them and want to just honor you. And Nikki and I think about what kind of leader do you want to be, you know? Apart from Jesus, we think about Dave and Sydney. And we're so grateful to God for you. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this incredible journey of looking at the book of Philippians. And it's been a great journey. And two weeks ago, um, Brandon actually opened us up in Philippians chapter 2. And it's such a very beautiful passage because it opens up in Philippians chapter 2, begins to give us this wonderful Christ aim, and it's actually arguably one of the most theological passages of the Scripture. It's just talking about what the mind of Christ looks like. You know, when he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, we did not count equality with God as something to grab hold of, but he humbled himself. So we're showing us the image of Jesus in terms of his humility and in terms of his service. As we're now closing now, Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to present two men to us. One is actually called Timothy, and the other one is actually called Epaphroditus. This is very important because these two guys are real people who are walking out the mind of Christ within their own context. It is very easy for us to think, well, what do you expect from Jesus? He had to be humble. What do you expect from Jesus? He had to live a life of service. Then Paul now showed us two real people, two real people like you and myself who are living out the life of Christ in their own context. And that is exactly what we're going to be looking at this morning. So meaning the fact that Jesus Christ is our perfect role model. Jesus Christ is our perfect example. Jesus Christ is who we hold him to look at. But at the same time, we have Christian role models all around us. You know, it's very easy for us to look at culture and begin to say that nobody's actually living this thing out anymore, but we're saying that right here, right now, there are people all around us. There are people in this church. There are people in your sphere of influence. There are people in your circle that when you look at their life, you can truly see Christ. They're living this thing out. And that is what we're going to begin to see in Philippians chapter 2 from verse number 19 to verse number 30. Can we open there? Let me read to us very quickly. It says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own and all the things of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see now it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Verse number 25, it says, Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, um, my dear brother, fellow worker, and also a fellow soldier, but your messenger, the one who ministered to my needs, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be less sorrowful. Verse 29 says, that receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, it came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Can we bow our heads down as we pray? Father, we thank you because the entrance of your word brings light and understanding unto the simple. Our hearts are open. 
that you will shape the life of Christ in us, that we'll become more and more like you. This is our desire, that the earth will, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water covered the sea. So we yield ourselves to you, we yield our vessels to you, I yield my mind, my mind, everything that Jesus will be glorified in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. By the way, if you're wondering where my accent is from, I told them in the 9 o'clock service that this is the Morfreesboro version of the Southern accent. <laughs> you got to believe that, all right? That's my gospel truth. I'm going to stick to that. Amen. <laughs> all right. So as we get to Philippians chapter 2, we can see the big idea that Paul is actually showing us is this, is that an authentic Christian life is absolutely possible. And the reason is this. The mind of Christ does not shape us partially. The mind of Christ shapes us fully. You see, if you've actually been around church for a little while, if you've actually had mentors and leaders and pastors or even parents, people that you've actually looked up to and you've seen them as the model of what it actually means to be a believer, and somewhere along the line, they had a shipwreck of their faith. Somewhere along the line, they had a moral failure. Somewhere along the line, they fell into the bubble of deconstructing their faith. There is every possibility that you're beginning to have a subtle belief in a lie that this Christian life is not possible to be totally lived out. It is very possible for you to start believing that it is no longer easy for you to walk in purity. It's no longer easy for you to walk in holiness. It's not easy for you to totally, to be sold out to the walk of Jesus, to be given to loving your neighbor the way Jesus actually loved them. And this is the problem. When you believe a lie, you empower the liar against you. But the truth still remains is that your authentic Christian life is absolutely possible because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us. When we said yes to Jesus, what we received is not a religion. What we received is not a denomination. What we received is not a thing. What we received is a person. And that person is the person of the Holy Spirit. Is that Jesus now dwell inside of me by a spirit. And I understand that sometimes this messes up with the mind. It's easy for us to understand the concept of God the Father. It is easy for us to understand the concept of God the Son. But sometimes we struggle with the fact that there is a person dwelling in me now. But guess what? That's the gospel. It's that the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of me. And the desire is this, is that it will live out the life of Christ through me. Is that everywhere that I find myself, the fragrance and the aroma of God will ooze out of me. Well, who's out of me? So it doesn't matter the context where I find myself, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom, whether I'm a shoemaker, whether I am a student, whether I'm an engineer, whether I'm a medical doctor, whether I'm actually still looking for a job. Whatever season and whatever context that I find myself, the truth remains. The Holy Spirit has one assignment. It's the fact that He wants to reveal Jesus through me to the people all around me. Is that it wants to release the life of Christ through me in a broken world, in a world that is actually tilting a little more and more away every day from God. The Holy Spirit is looking for people who will be able to yield themselves and say, I want to reveal myself through them. What will our city look like? What will our neighborhoods look like if everybody in this room was actually living out the life of Christ in the place where God has planted you? Our city will look like heaven. And that is what the Lord wants to do. You know, sometimes we don't understand even exactly what this transformation of the mind of Christ, what it looks like in our lives. What does it really look like? I love Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 28. 
Ephesians 4.28 gives us a picture of what it looks like to be transformed by Jesus. It says, let him who stole to steal no longer, but rather let him labor, walking with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who that is in need. That is the gospel transformation of what the mind of Christ can do in our lives. It takes a person who has been a thief to become a person who steals no more, to become a person who is now gainfully employed and is a responsible citizen to the point where he now becomes generous. It doesn't just make him to stop stealing. If that is all that it did, that was good, but that was not good enough. What the mind of Christ does is that it makes you into a totally new person. It stops and it ends the person you were, and it creates a brand new person right now. Even the person who actually authored even this book of Philippians, his name was actually Paul. Now, we love Paul. We see the things that God did through his life. We see the revelation of Jesus that Paul had. We see his passion for the Lord. We're going to see that in Philippians chapter 3. Amazing passion for the Lord. Sold out to the cost of Christ. For me to live as Christ, for me to die as gain. You know, you can see the now story of Paul and you forget the history of Paul. You know, Paul didn't start off like that. When the scripture introduced Paul to us in Acts 9, it was about to go persecute the church. The Lord transformed them so much that the one who was trying to persecute the church now became a preacher for the same church he was persecuting. Paul did not just stop persecuting the church. If that was all he did, that would have been good, but not good enough. Because when the Lord does his work in our lives, it's a complete change inside out. Is that when people who used to know you, when they see you, they can recognize you because the gospel has changed you totally. That's what the gospel does. And that is the mind of Christ that the Lord has for us. Last week, you know, when Andrew was speaking, and Andrew was speaking about the fact that, you know what, if you have been a person who is constantly grumbling, you grumble about traffic, you grumble about leaders, you grumble about everything, you grumble about how hot your coffee is and how cold it should be and hot. You understand all the things you grumble about? He said, the gospel does not just make you to stop grumbling, it turns you into a person who is full of gratitude. It's a total change. You know, one of the most graphic pictures I also love in scripture was the man called David. It's my favorite character in the whole Testament. When he became king, such a very interesting guy. When he became king, the Bible says, of course, he was running up and down from King Saul. And when he became king, then these guys gathered themselves to him, 300 of them. And they said, David, you're going to be our captain. The problem is this, the Bible says that there were people who were in distress, they were in debt, and they were discouraged people. And they said, David, you can be our captain. Duh. <laughs> Where else would they go? But you know the good news about those guys? Few chapters after that, after they've been walking with David, being trained by David, the Bible described them as the mighty men of David. They were distressed, in debt, discouraged people, but they became mighty men. That is what happens when you walk with Jesus. It's that like you look at your past and you look at your present, there is nothing similar. There is nothing they have in common. It is like when, when you see a caterpillar and a butterfly, you would have never thought that one came out of the other. If that transformation has not taken place fully, then the gospel has not completed its work. You know, when we start talking about character as part of our spiritual formation, because we're going to touch on that this morning, people start resisting, we start pushing back, because we, we just don't want to do that. 
And I think for me too, I struggle with that because I grew up in a very legalistic environment where you heard much more about what you should do for God much more than what God did for you. So every time people came around me and when they wanted to start talking to me about the fact that, you know, God expects you to do something, I resisted it originally. The more I was understanding the grace of God, the centrality of Christ, the goodness of God. But guess what? God makes a demand out of our lives because he has made a deposit of a spirit. So because of that, God is expecting fruits that look like him in my life. God wants to look at me and is seeing that I'm living out and walking out this life of Christ right now, right here. And that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ. And as we look at this, we don't do this thing by ourselves. We're going to be seeing two guys who walk with Paul. One is called Timothy and the one is also called Epaphroditus. These were people, of course, Timothy was discipled by Paul and Epaphroditus walked very closely with Paul. He shaped their life. Gospel shaped their life in this relationship. I want to ask you two questions as we go through this this morning. The first question is this. Who am I walking very closely with that is actually modeling Jesus to me? Who, who am I walking very closely? Who do I have proximity with that makes Jesus very, very real to me? It's very important. The second thing is this. Are you living a contagious Christian life right here, right now? As we get to verse number 19 to verse number 23, you know, Paul is now talking to us about Timothy, you know, and he's describing Timothy. But first of all, the background of Timothy was this. Timothy came into the picture in Acts chapter 16. That was the place where Paul actually met him. And Timothy was the son of a pagan father who was actually a Gentile, and, was a son, and his mother was a believing Jew. And he was also raised by his grandmother, Louise, who was also given to the Lord, and eventually became a disciple of Paul. But guess what? He also had struggles the same way that we also do have struggles. In fact, later on, when he was writing to Timothy, Paul would tell him that, don't be afraid, don't be fearful, because Timothy was being timid by the things that he was going through and the things around him. So I'm saying that to let you see this, that Timothy was a real person like you and I, had the same challenges like you and I, wanted to be like like you and I, had the same temptations like you and I, was under pressure like you and I, but yet he was living out the life of Jesus in his own context. If you're running with the idea that it's not really possible, I want to tell you this. It is possible because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Paul was now writing in Philippians chapter 2, and he wrote about Timothy, and he said this. He said, I have no one like-minded, in verse number 20. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. The word like-minded there means, this is, I have no one with a twin soul. I have no one with the same mind. I have no one with the same desire. I have no one with the same passion, the same commitment. I have no one like that. This is Paul bragging about Timothy and saying, Timothy is the MVP of my ministry. If you have seen anything in me, you'll see the same thing in Timothy. If there is anything that is fascinating about Jesus in me, you'll find the same thing in Timothy. If the ministry of Paul was actually called Ethos Church, Paul is about to list us some things that you should find in these people. And don't struggle with character and conduct. 
There's a difference between legalism and life. Legalism is you trying to do things by your own power to produce fruits. But the life in Jesus is a life of surrender and allowing the life of Christ to who's out of me. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 19, Paul wrote, he said, my little children for whom I travail until Christ be formed in you. Another translation put it this way. He said, until Christ's life becomes visible in you. So our character, our conduct is an integral part of what God is doing in our lives. Because there are people who need to smell Christ by the way we live. Our neighbors need to change by the way we talk, the way we react to people, the way we respond to our politics, the way we respond to the issues in our culture. Because the life of Christ is the best thing that can actually produce the right conduct in people's lives. Nothing else can do that. And Paul is now writing, he said, I have no one like-minded. I have no one who share the same thing. He said, who will sincerely care for your state? There are people who are caring for your state, but they do not sincerely do it. The word for that is the fact that they are hypocritical people. So Paul is teaching us here that the mind of Christ will form sincerity in my life. I am the same person in the light as I am in the dark. I am the same person on a Friday night as I am on a Sunday morning. The Sunday morning is no more sacred. Everything that I do, the life of Christ is flowing through me because the life of Christ in us is not a divided life. It's not a separated life. I don't have a financial life. I don't have a spiritual life. Then I have a weekly life. There's no difference between the secular and the sacred right now. Why? Because it's the same Jesus that I take everywhere the Lord plants me. Paul is now saying, listen, this is my MVP called Timothy. He has moved away from being hypocritical to the place of authenticity. So every one of us who is a follower of Jesus, the Lord invites us to the place where the life of Christ is visible in a very sincere way and we're not hypocrites. He went further in verse number 21. He says, for all seek their own, not the things of Christ Jesus. Everybody's looking out for themselves, but not Timothy. Because the mind of Christ has shaped selflessness in Timothy. Not only is he a sincere guy, he's also a selfless guy. The same way in his own generation, everybody's seeking their own. He's the same way in this culture. The culture has lied to us that it's all about you. It's all about your desire. It's all about your feeling. It's all about what you want to do. That you are the author of your life. He promises us that when we do that, we find liberation, only to have lied to us that that is oppression. But when we allow the mind of Christ to shape us, we realize that our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. When we allow the mind of Christ to shape us, we realize that God has called us to a life of selflessness. And the scripture right now is redefining what selflessness is right now to us. Selflessness is not just me stop thinking about myself. That is a good place to start, but a terrible place to stop. Selflessness is now the same thing that happened to Timothy. Now he minds the things of Christ. Perhaps the Bible definition of selflessness for believers is that you are Christ-centered in all the things that you do. It's Christ shaping you. It went further in the next verse, in verse number 23. Verse number 22, he says, but you know his proven character 
that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. He served me. I like the way that verse opened up. He said, you know, it's proven character. We're not just saying things that, you know, we just want to be nice and we're just giving it out. We're not just trying to give him a pass. He said, this guy has been tried, he has been tested, and now we can trust him. We have put him in very vulnerable positions and we have seen the fact that he is the same person, just like Joseph. Joseph had the opportunity to mess around with Potiphar's wife. He said, will I do this thing and sin against God? Nobody knows about it, but the character of Timothy too has been proven. And he said, this is what we've seen in his character. This was a man who was given to service. I love the story when two of Jesus' disciples hired their mom to come actually um, solicit Jesus, somebody to sit on the right, another person to sit on the left in the kingdom. Jesus eventually answered them. Eventually, the disciples came. They said, oh, we're so jealous about it. And Jesus saw their attitude, how gross it was. And he said to them, he said, whoever is the, the greatest among you must first of all be your servant. So in the kingdom of God, we are not called to be served. We are called to serve. We don't serve so that we can be great. We serve because service itself is greatness. The question now is this. Are you serving or you are being served? The place where God has actually planted you, in your neighborhood, in your local church, in the city. Are you waiting for other people to do the thing that God has called you to do? When it's truly the life of Christ, the mind of Jesus shaping us, it will produce a life of service the same way it did in the life of Timothy. I asked the question, how did Timothy get to this point where the mind of Christ shaped him so much? The immediate thing was just, oh, he was a believer. I wish I could just say because he had believed the gospel. That's the reason why the mind of Christ shaped him. That's the starting point. Timothy positioned himself in a relationship with Paul in such a way that what was in Paul shaped him. One of the key scriptures that has blessed me over the years is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 10 to 11. It was talking about the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. He said, for you have carefully followed my doctrine. 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 11. You have carefully followed. Not only was the fact that Paul was leading, Timothy was also following carefully. Sometimes we put the weight on leaders. Oh, you know, the reason why things are not working out is because this pastor did that, is because these leaders did that. No. While that is true, that is not 100% true. There is also the place for the followers, people who are following closely in a discipleship relationship. He said, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my teaching. He didn't hand that. There was much more. He said, you have followed my manner of life. He was exposed to the kind of life that Paul was living. He had a close, proximal relationship with him. He said, you have seen my purpose, the way I went after the calling of God upon my life. You've seen my faith, the way I believed God. You've seen my long-suffering, the way I stewarded very difficult situations. The way I walked in love, my perseverance, my persecutions, my afflictions. In verse 11, it says, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. You saw my victories. Do you have a relationship in your life that is so close, that Jesus is so modeled, that you can say, this is the kind of man I want to be. I might not have seen Jesus face to face, but this woman shows me what it looks like to walk with Jesus. That was how Timothy was shaped. 
Sunday morning is great, but God is inviting you into something much more. The Christian life is not just an individualistic life, it's a communal life. It brings you into relationship. It is an oxymoron to say that you are a child of God, but you want to keep to yourself. It doesn't go together. You have not been born as a single child. You were born into a family. As we move forward in Philippians chapter 2, he now starts again with this guy called Epaphroditus, and his name is even a tongue twister. Like my real name. My real name is not Mo. Mo are my initials. It's Obayomi. He's a tongue twister. We don't know so much about this guy. He's not a very popular guy. In fact, his name was only mentioned twice in Scripture. Only twice in Scripture. In fact, the meaning of his word, the, the meaning of his name, actually is somebody who serves Venus, a goddess. So there is the probability that Epaphroditus was not even a believer. He was an idol worshiper. He was into politism. But one way or the other, this guy got a hold of Christ. He was transformed by Jesus. He believed the gospel and was radically changed by the gospel. Is my life been changed by the gospel? And I like the way Paul actually described him. He described him with five words. He called him a brother. He called him a fellow worker. He called him a fellow soldier. He called him a messenger. And he called him a minister of the gospel. Epaphroditus. When he called him my fellow brother, the word brother actually is from the Greek word called Adelphos. It means being part of the same family. He didn't just say that it was his friend. Yes, it was his friend. But he said, this guy is my brother. Beyond the external indexes, this guy, we are from the same blood. You know, in their days, they had the same challenges like we do have our own challenges. They had racial challenges. They had political challenges. They had ethnic challenges. But they understand, even why those things were not dissolved completely, they understood that those things can be overlooked because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Am I allowing the gospel to help me to dissolve all my biases about people? Are there people who do not fit into your economic status? And because of that, they, you have a bias against them. They can't penetrate into your community. The gospel, the mind of Jesus, shapes your definition of community. It puts a demand upon your life. They may not look like who you want them to be in the natural, but because they have said yes to Jesus, they are now brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female, there's no bond, there's no free. We are all one in Christ Jesus, say the scripture. You know, some of us have turned our back on community because we have been wounded in community. And I'm sorry about that. But the truth is this, we are wounded in community and we are also healed in community. God does not have a healing plan outside community. James put it this way. He says, confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. The reason why you're wounded is because you're part of that family. And God is inviting you back again and just say, don't run away from the place where I want to shape you. The wounds are part of the way that God is also trying to shape you. Because how will you know you're walking in love when you're actually not had opportunity to be offended? Offenses are God's opportunity for us to be able to walk in the love of Christ. Then later on, look at how he actually described. 
Then the next verse, he said, it's my fellow worker, a fellow soldier, your messenger who ministered. So he called him a worker, he called him a messenger, and he called him a minister. He wasn't merely a good Christian. He was a good worker. He worked for the Lord. Not only was the mind of Christ shaping the community, the mind of Christ was shaping his commitment. Epaphroditus was not so busy that he didn't have time for God. Some of us have actually put things in our lives in such a way there's no margin for the service of the Lord. And you know deep within yourself that you can move things around to make room for Jesus. You know you can. You know you're able to. In fact, the life of Christ in you is making a demand that you cannot be so busy that Christ has no place in your agenda for the day. He has to have a place. It is part of being a follower of Christ. We're not trying to walk for salvation. We're trying to walk because we have been saved. Because when God saves us, it deploys us. Can you clearly say that this is my place of assignment? I'm grateful for this church who is constantly thinking about serving the Lord in the city. Look at what just happened during Easter, giving out to people who are doing the works of ministry in the city. Thank God that we're able to give. That's a good starting point. What if you can also be the hands and feet of Jesus and fulfill God's assignment upon your life? The mind of Christ was shaping Epaphroditus, and he was a man who had his commitments, and Jesus was the number one and the only thing on his list. I like the last word that he used to describe Epaphroditus. He also called him a fellow soldier. He called him a fellow soldier. Not only is Epaphroditus a brother, he's also a soldier. The body of Christ is not less than Hami as it is a family. God is not less a Lord as he's a father. Sometimes we like the fatherhood part. As a father, he supplies. As a Lord, he demands. And he can and he should. Because he has made a supply, he can also make a demand. He has made a deposit in us. Jesus did not die to raise a weak church. Jesus died to raise an army. One of the names of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi is talking about the conquering warrior. While God is your father, he's also a warrior. He's the one who fights. We have been invited into a spiritual battle. And we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. Because we are more than conquerors through Christ who has called us. So God has invited us, and the place where we fight the battle is not just primarily doing things up and down. We win battles on our knees. God is raising an army of people who understand that the most powerful place on the earth is not the White House, it's not down the street in the United Kingdom, it's not some guy in Russia. It's the man and the woman who knows that I can go to God in prayer. I'm trusting the Lord that an army will rise up in this last, in this 21st century church. Where we understand that prayer is not just grace alone around our dining table. Prayer is also the place where we shut the closet and we say, as it is in heaven, so it will be in my city. God is looking for those who are strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6, he said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He said, put on the whole hammer of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the enemy. Sometimes we just want to stay in that family circle where we're just all jolly jelly and weak. 
And God is saying, you are also an army. So rise up in the place of prayer. Rise up and declare the things that God wants you to do. Sometimes we know what believers are for. We don't know what they're against. The Bible says that Jesus was, you know, he loved righteousness. And the Bible says that he ate it. That's in Hebrews. He ate it iniquity. The meaning of the word iniquity is if there's been something straight, then there's a bend. You know, sometimes in our family circle, there is a bend from righteousness. You see traits in your dad, it was in his granddad, and you're beginning to see the same thing also in your life. You don't negotiate with the devil. You stop the devil in the place of prayer. You say, in the name of Jesus, not on my watch, not on my father, not on my kids, not on my wife, there's a new bloodline that is starting here, and it's the bloodline of the lineage of Jesus. That is what it means to be a believer. You can sit around and just call a pity party. We don't know what to do. You don't call evil a good name. The moment you call an evil a good name, you're giving it permission to stay. You don't put a nice name around it. You call it what it is. This is not God's plan. And I thank you, Father, because I am more than conqueror in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a believer. There is no plan B. In this age and time, you got to take a stand in the place of prayer. And as we close, he was now telling them how to receive this guy called Epaphroditus. Because if you're going to be shipped in community, if God is going to bring people who can disciple you, if God is going to bring you into an environment like this where you can hear the word of God, there is the posture of your heart that determines whether you'll be changed or not. Because you can be so close and yet miss it. You can hang around the word of God for many years and yet you are not being changed. The way you should. Because your heart is not open to truth. Jesus, there was a thief to his right, another thief to his left. On the cross, the same proximal distance. One person got it right, the other person missed it. I've met people who have been in church all their life, but you look at them, you can't smell Jesus. You look at them in their language, in their conduct, in their thinking, it looks as if they are so far away from Jesus. I'm not saying they are not saved. I'm just saying they are not disciples. So he now telling them, he said, if you're going to receive Epaphroditus, he said, this is the first thing. Receive him in the Lord with joy. This is how you receive relationship. This is how you receive the gospel around people. It's a posture of your heart. You don't come around as if you are forced into it. You come around because you know you want to draw. And now you draw is with joy. Isaiah 12, verse number 3. He said, with joy shall you draw from the wells of salvation. And I like it because it said joy. That's why I put it here, heavenly joy. The mind of Christ. We receive it with heavenly joy. Joy is not a feeling primarily. It touches your feeling. Joy is a posture of your heart. In such a way that whether it's rainy season or whether it's down season, you can stay joyful. Nehemiah put it this way. He said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not the strength that brings joy. It is the joy that brings strength. It's the joy that brings strength. Things are not, things, things are, things, you are not sad because things are bad. Things are bad because you are sad. <laughs> Think about that for a second. When you change the posture of your heart, you will understand that things change from inside before it can change on the outside. Then the next thing is said about that, not only heavenly joy or joyful reception, he said when he comes, he said honor him. He said you have to honor Epaphroditus. Honor is simply to receive a person for who he is without stumbling on who he's not. 
sometimes we don't know how to receive from the place where God has planted us. When we come to a place like this, it's not just for information, it is also for impartation. Information is simply somebody telling you what they've read. If that is all you need to become a follower of Jesus, then you need to go get two PhDs in the college. But when it comes to actually forming the life of Christ, there is also something called impartation, whereby doing life with people, something rubs off on you. You become more like Jesus by hanging out with people that are walking with God. When you meet people who have been with God for 30 years, consistently walking with God for 40 years, 20 years, there is something in them that you can glean from without them even saying a word. And I understand that this is alien to our Western mind. But everything is not by you just reading. There are just some things that the Lord plans by you just having relationship with people. And the grace of God flows through the gradient of honor. When you truly honor people, you receive them for who they are and for not for who they are not. You see the goodness of God in their life. What is in them will rub off on you. And the way it started in that verse, they said receiving. Receiving. Take care of it. Selfless care. As God is bringing relationships into your life, God is planting you around real people who are modeling Christ to you, who make Jesus real to you. Receive them with care. Receive them with honor. Sometimes when you're moving very close to people, having deep relationship with them, you were far off before, now you're closer. You begin to see the things God is still doing in their life at the expense of the things God has already done in their life. And if you are not very careful, you'll be so carried away by the imperfections that you miss out on the grace of the perfected work of Christ in them. So as we close this morning, Ethos, this is the invitation of God. Do you have a relationship the same way that Timothy had a relationship with Paul? Who is your Paul? Who is your Paul? It's okay to gather like this. Do you have a house church where you are seen, where you are known, where you are accountable? Accountable. And that's why it's healthy leadership, healthy honor. This is a healthy house. Accountability is not heal health. It is good for your soul. It is good for you. Somebody needs to be able to call you out. And it's within the boundary of the family and the army of God. I leave you with that this morning. Who is truly your Paul? And are you living out the fragrance of Christ where God has planted you? Can people follow you as you follow Christ? Can you bow your heads down? Can you invite the Lord into your heart in a special way this morning to help you? The Lord is speaking this to your heart because you can live it out. It's absolutely possible to live out the life of Christ in the place where God has actually planted you. Somebody here just needs to say, Lord, help me. <laughs> I have struggles. I have addictions that I don't want nobody to know. So because of that, I'm running away from people. And God is saying to you, I'm going to help you. And the way I'm going to help you is this. The same people that you're running away from is the same place where I'm going to help you at. <laughs> because your liberty and your freedom is not in darkness, it's in the light. Can I invite you to stand up with me as we even receive the communion this morning? 
If you need prayers, you can come to the left-hand side of the room, and there are different tables all around this auditorium where you can actually receive communion. And even as we share in the body of Christ and partake even in a sacrifice again, can you just meditate on this and see how the Lord has invited you, not into isolation, but into community? Can we go around and just receive communion this morning?